How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet to record today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to elders past and present. Hey there, Disney Files. Thanks for tuning in. Just a little warning that whilst we like to keep things bright and light here at Dissecting Disney Ditties, occasionally we do drop in a bad word or two. So if you're listening at home or in the car with the kidlets, you might want to listen to this later. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, the president will now be here to answer any questions. Uh, well, thank you all for coming. I, I do have time for a couple of questions. Over here, Mr. President. Mr. President. People want to know, what is the best Disney song? That's all the time I have for today. Thank you very much. Mr. Mr. President, you, you, can't, you can't walk away from this. Mr. Mr. President. And welcome to Dissecting Disney Diddy's Eleven episodes, <laughs> mate. Eleven episodes. Diddy's. Like P. Diddy. And if you see the devil, tell him I'm looking for him. <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> I think I can't get out of my head that when I asked Google to play our latest episode, she responded, Sorry, I cannot find Dissecting Disney Titties on Spotify. I was like, oh, jeez. That is our After Dark special. <laughs> uh, it's like when um, Big Brother was a thing and they had, like, Big Brother After Dark. It's just going to oh be, like, us sitting around on a lounge by a pool and every now and then someone will swear. <laughs> and just flop out a nipple, yeah. yeah. <laughs> calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. All right. <clears throat> Hello, hello, and welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties with Stackers and Will. I'm Stackers. And I am Will. And on this show, we will be breaking each animated Disney classic down song by song in an attempt to answer the impossible question. What is the best Disney song? I'll ask the questions. Do you play croquet? Well, that only took us three minutes (laughs) to get right. (laughs) Three minutes of practicing the intro. <laughs> Go us. Oh. We are professionals. Yeah. <laughs> How you been, Will? I've been well, Stackers. I've been well. Um, I'm just, you know, it's uh, getting towards the end of term three. So I'm just keen to, to sort of get through this next week uh, and set my kids up for success in term four and then uh, have a bit of a relaxing break. How about yourself? What have you been up to? Well, I'm already on school holidays. I, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm living my best life. Um, I feel like I feel like I've just made a commitment to doing absolutely nothing for week one. Yeah. Um, aside from look around my house and what a mess it's become, because myself <laughs> and my partner Tim are just working from home. Slowly, the house just starts to consume itself. 
Yeah. Because it's not functioning as a, a livable space anymore. It's just like, this is where I work, so there's crap everywhere. And then in that room is where he works and there's crap everywhere, you know? Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Like, um, I looked around our lounge room the other day and I was like, ooh, yeah, we definitely haven't left the house for six weeks. <laughs> we live here. You understand how squatters get to the point that they do? Yeah, I think uh, hoarders, I think you mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, we, we we are, though. We're 10 episodes in. We're in a new phase. It feels like we are kind of in a rhythm now. We kind of know mm. what we're doing. I mean, not too much. Ca- we're still yeah, just utter bit. trash when it comes Don't to doing our intro. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but no, it feels good. feels good, Stackers. Let's keep it going. We're, we're running running upwards now towards the Renaissance, which I think is what, what you know everyone's kind of waiting for, which is great. Welcome to the Renaissance. Oh my God, we're hanging for it. We are hanging for that sweet, sweet renaissance. But before we get there, we have to go down a very, very dark well (laughs) into the depths of Disney movies that no Uh, one wants to remember. In the great tradition of Disney animated classics, now comes the newest Disney spectacle of them all, The Black. But this is this is the edge. We're still in the sunshine. We're still on the edge of the well. We haven't quite jumped in yet. And uh, that is because today we are dissecting The Jungle Book. The two songs that I remembered from this are so memorable. And the rest are just kind of like... Oh, yeah, I guess I kind of remember that. Yeah, I thought so too when I looked at the list. There are three I actually remember from this movie, but the others I thought I I have. It's sort of like Lady in the Tramp, you know. You remember the hits and the rest you think, was that is that really in the movie or is that just underscoring? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like even before um, we started recording, I was like, wait a second, what are these two yeah. songs? Like I, I watched the movie like four days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I um, Did you watch the live action or either of no, the live actions, I should say? You know what? I flicked through the um, the John Favreau 2016 remake, just sort of like tried to take in the highlights, the, the bits to try and just compare those two. Mm. I desperately wanted to find the 1994 um, Carrie Yule's um, Sam Neill masterpiece. Yeah, with Jason Scott Lee. With Jason Scott Lee, but I couldn't find it's it. Is not, it on Disney Plus? No, it's, as far as I can tell, it's not on any streaming service, which is so disappointing because I remember watching this when I was a kid. Yeah, and I remember being really scared by it. And I re- because I couldn't find it, I looked up bits and pieces on YouTube and the snake CGI is horrendous. Terrifying, yeah. But no, like I... I Thinking back, I must have had a bit of a fascination with The Jungle Book because I was very into that version, the 1994 version, and I was very into Tailspin. Did you ever watch Tailspin? Uh, I want to say yes. Did that have um, the bigger duck? What's his name? Uh, Daffy? No, not Daffy. No, Donald? No, the pilot duck. Uh, yes, it did. Yeah, because it, it was Baloo flew a plane um, as like a, a delivery man. And Shia Khan was like a, a gang warlord on this island. <laughs> and I was very into that. I was very into that show. Um, so I was very aware of Baloo and Shia Khan in particular. Right, right. Um, yeah. So 
I, I'm really pleased that in at least in my personal view, this movie held up. I, like I felt good watching it. It it didn't uh, like there wasn't a lot in it where I was like, oh my god, they they made this, you know. So uh, I'm feeling good. Yeah, I I um, remember watching the the more recent live action. So the 1994 live action wasn't. It didn't have any music in it. It was a no. straight film. It was like an adult Mowgli as well. Um, like it was, it was very different vibe. Very different. Yeah, vibe. yeah, yeah. Much, much more adult film. Yeah. And then the the twenty is it twenty sixteen? Yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah, the twenty sixteen version is uh, sort of more straight to live action film, but somehow is nowhere near as boring or terrible as the Lion King. Yeah, and but it it has it sort of suffers a similar. Yeah, you're right. It is more interesting than the Lion King remake, but it's it has very similar things about it that could sort of turn you off it. Like it goes for, you know, two hours and 20 minutes or something. There's an extra yeah. hour of film in the live action than there is in um, in the cartoon. Yeah. I mean, they somehow do that in all of the live action. Yeah, absolutely. Like in the, in the live one, they didn't even go to the wolf meeting until about 15 minutes into the film, yeah. whereas that happened pretty much at the start of the cartoon. So it's just little things like that where I go, why are you doing this like this? It's not always for the better, but you're right. This is, an, this is one of the more interesting live action remakes, I think. Yeah, I guess that, that padding at the start does sort of do it justice in that in the original cartoon, which we'll jump into the synopsis in a sec, but in the original cartoon, Shere Khan, they say um, Shere Khan is going to kill Mo- Mowgli. Well, they call him Mowgli, frustratingly, in this, and we'll get to that too. Um, Shere Khan's going to kill Mowgli, and that's their whole thing. Shere Khan doesn't even know Mowgli exists. He's not in that part of the jungle, and the whole thing is he's going to eat yeah. him. He doesn't even know he exists, so how do they know that? Whereas in the um, live action, they have that whole scene with the watering hole. Yeah. And that's where Shere Khan meets Mowgli and then is like, yeah, I'm going to eat you. Yeah. And I think that, that, again, just in my flick through, that's something that it does really cleverly is that that makes Shere Khan this, like, looming threat and presence throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Whereas the thing that works against it in the cartoon is that you don't see Shere Khan until like an hour 40, into the 42 film. 42 minutes, I think, in. Yeah, it's 42 yeah. or 47 minutes in. An insanely long time. Which is a long time to meet a villain. And he doesn't even meet Mowgli, or Mowgli, sorry, or however you're supposed to say it, until yeah. <laughs> pretty much the end of the film. Mm. So, yeah, it's um, it's interesting choices all around. Yeah. So uh, it is meant to be pronounced Mowgli, and uh, Rudyard Kipling had explained that. It's Mao as in cow, so it's Mowgli. Yeah. But Walt Disney, for some reason, preferred the way Mowgli sounded. And uh, Kipling's, I believe, wife, uh, no, not wife, because she was long dead, daughter, I think, yeah. um, was really, really angry about it and never forgave him because that's just, you know, Disney likes to reinvent history and likes to, you know, reinvent whatever it really likes. Do you uh, mean for, to tell me <laughs> that Walt Disney, the man that we have come to know as being so benevolent and kind... <laughs> Was a my way or the highway kind of guy? Is that what you mean to tell me, Stackers? Yes, that is what I mean to tell you, Will. So uh, I think uh, now is probably the perfect time for us to jump into our segment. So let's begin with... Dissecting Disney Dranks. Stackers, I don't want to excite you too much, but today... 
We're doing a shot. Whoa. We are going back to 2007 okay. at a uni party. We're doing jello shots. Open bar and Will is going up saying, hey, do you have any Jaeger bombs? Let's do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we are doing a shot though. It is 15 millilitres of Maduri, 15 millilitres of pineapple juice, and seven and a half mils of absinthe. Hell yeah, you pop that all into a shaker, you shake it up, you pour it into a shot glass, and you slam it, and that is the man cub. I think there are a few people who are literally going to oh, make 100%. that as soon as they hear this. I mean, provided they have absinthe, which not a lot of people have in their liquor cabinet. No, you don't, but you can get it fairly regularly. For some reason, I always thought that absinthe was like some illegal substance, but I think it's just... You can't get real absinthe. Yeah, okay, so this is just be like a, 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 I don't know, fake version, but that's fine, it tastes the same. Yeah, real absinthe has some stupidly high alcohol content in it, which is why it was made illegal. Oh, okay. And I have no doubt in some, you know, dick deep dark parts of the earth you can mm. get it still but um i think now what you buy is just a sort of more watered down version of what we know from like moulin rouge yeah okay. yes i am the green fairy well uh yeah look I, I i'm not seeing any green fairies right now but it's uh it's it's very tasty it's very tasty. I'm definitely going to go and buy some and make that because that sounds delicious. 100%, yeah, because it doesn't look like we're going to be recording face-to-face anytime soon. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the uh, that's the man cub. All right, so pour it in, slam it back, and let's get down with some stats with stackers. I love it more and more every time I hear it. <laughs> It's too long. It's too long. Okay. The year is 1967. This is the film that succeeded the 1963 Sword in the Stone. In between, there's a lot of live action stuff, such as Mary Poppins. That uh, we will not be covering because not Mm. animated. But, you know, stay tuned. Stay tuned for future future episode ideas the music and lyrics are by the sherman brothers uh all of the songs are theirs with the exception of the bare necessities which was penned by terry gilkinson and the score was once again composed by george bruns in the cast we've got bruce reatherman who you would have heard as one of the voices of art in sword in the stone we've also got the famous Phil Harris as Blue, Sebastian Cabot as Bagheera, Louis Prima as King Louis, George Saunders as Shere Khan, Sterling Holloway as Carr. We know Sterling Holloway from Winnie the Pooh and also the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. J. Pat O'Malley as Colonel Hattie. And in her final stint with Disney, the wonderful, the glorious Verna Felton as Winifred. Vale Queen Verna. Yes, Vale Verna. This is her time has come, unfortunately, to say goodbye to Disney. And life. <laughs> let's let's run a little B-roll of all the uh, all the voices that she did. Jumbo Junior. <laughs> Ladies 
ladies, it's no laughing matter at all. Don't forget that we elephants have always walked with dignity. Oh, now you don't really mean that. If you'd lost all your faith, I couldn't be here. And here I am. But we'll have to hurry, because even miracles take a little time. Who's been painting my roses red? Sorry, I'm late, dears. Hope I haven't kept you waiting. No, 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 no. No fussing. I know my way around. On your way now. Mustn't miss your train. Oh, good gracious. What are you doing here? Go on now. Shoot, shoot. Scat it now. Don't despair, your majesties. Merriweather still has her gift again. Here it comes. The Victoria Cross bit again. Werner Felton provided the voices of many beautiful characters in Disney films, beginning in 1941 with Mrs. Jumbo in Dumbo. Following that, she was the fairy godmother in Cinderella. She was Aunt Sarah in Lady and the Triumph. Flora and the voice of the single line queen in Sleeping Beauty. The Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland. And she finished her run once again as an elephant, completing the circle of Disney, voicing Winifred, the elephant matriarch in The Jungle Book. The circle of life, if you will. It's the circle of elephants. <laughs> she began as an elephant. She went out as an elephant. I think it's kind yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. Vale, Verna. We, we lo- we've loved exploring Verna's filmography through these movies. It's... um. Yeah, it's going to be sad to see her to see her go and not appear again. Yeah, veil to our our Queen of Hearts, Verna Felton. Songs that you may recognise from this movie will probably be "I Want to Be Like You," "The Bare Necessities," and "Trust in Me." This movie did receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Song. The song being The Bare Necessities by Terry Gilkison. A little bit of a slap to the Sherman oh, Brothers who wrote oh, the rest of it. Oh, oh. Interestingly, Gregory Pack, who was the president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, pushed really hard to get this film nominated for Best Picture and to make it win Best Picture. Really? And basically no one else would support him in the Academy. And so he resigned over this film in 1970 because um, no other members would agree with him that animated films should be considered. And it wasn't until nearly 20 years later that that came back on the table and they nominated Beauty and the Beast for Best Film. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's something that kind of pervades the academies to this day is they have a very sort of, uh, how do I say this, delicately they have a very sort of old school way of looking at films old white man yeah yeah (laughs) old white man way of looking at films and it's very rare i think these days to see a um an animation under best picture as well because it does have its own best animated feature category now it does yeah but yeah you would assume that if a film's the best picture then it should be considered for best picture as well like uh parasite a couple of years ago I think was the first film I can at least recall in a while to be nominated for best foreign film and best picture Mm. um, and to even have a shot at both of them. Like I know Roma was maybe the year before or something, but um, I don't think that was ever going to get a serious look in, unfortunately, because again, the, the old white man way of looking at the Academy Awards. Yeah, very, very true. And I guess it's sort of like what they consider to be highbrow which is why you don't see a lot of horror you don't see a lot of like superhero films um because they're not considered highbrow enough to um be considered yeah 
And it's kind of interesting if you look at the history of best score as well. At one point, animated movies were separated into a best it's something uh, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's basically best scoring of an animated feature. Really? And obviously, someone at some point went, "That's ridiculous!" Like That's a score. That's dumb. A score. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter you what it's dumb for. old white men. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the the history of award categories is really interesting to look at and how they sort of dissect them and then put them back together. Um, even in the actors categories. And even now they have, you know, best is a comedy and drama and then best film. Like there's a, there's still a distinct uh, musical comedy. I think in some of the, in some of the awards. Yeah. I don't think for the academies, but um, I think the Golden Globes or maybe it's the Emmys. I'm not sure. One of them has like best comedy and musical, best drama, best. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it really hard for films that are super grey. Yeah, that they're kind of funny, yeah. but kind of a drama. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's what that's what's happening in the Academy Awards. It did not win. It lost to Talk to the Animals from Doctor Doolittle. If I could parley with pachyderms, it's a fairy tale worthy of Hans Anderson or Grimm. A man who walks with the animals, talks with the animals, grunts and squeaks and squawks with the animals. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think we must mention that this is also the last film that was overseen by Walt Disney himself because one day after Werner Felton died, Walt Disney himself passed away. So Werner Felton was 76 years old. She died from a stroke on December 16th, 1966. Mm. And Walt Disney died from circulatory collapse uh, which was linked to his quite serious lung cancer. Oh, shit. On December 15th, 1966. So Walt Disney was a very, very heavy smoker and he used to smoke cigarettes without a filter. Right. Yeah, okay. Uh, he didn't really hang around the studio much because he was um, he got quite frail towards the end of his life. Yeah. And uh, the team did start to notice it when they were making The Jungle Book, but he decided to get back into the storyboard room for this movie so he'd sort of been working a lot on the live actions and spending a lot of time with the theme parks in the last couple of films um but for the jungle book he got back into the room with the storyboarders and actively took part in creating the story and so that's why this one is in a way some people see this as a little bit more disney than a couple of the films before it because he was more involved and we will discover this in a moment when we look at what they're about, but this story ventures quite far from the books because uh, he wanted to focus more on the characters than telling the story because he didn't really like the original Jungle Book story. He just liked the characters. Okay. <laughs> and that's why, that's why the characters are really well developed, whereas the story is a little bit like you could almost say it in one, one sentence really. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mowgli does a bunch of shit and then uh, there's a battle with a tiger. Done. And then he meets a girl at the end. Yeah, yeah. He gets lured into a village by by a biddy. Yeah. <laughs> so before we jump into that, Will, yes. why don't you tell us what was it originally about? The book, chapter one, Mowgli's Brothers. The Mowgli stories were a series of short stories written by Rudyard Kipling in 1894, and it begins thus. 
Father Wolf, Kayla, is about to go hunting and runs into a slightly psychotic jackal who warns them that Shere Khan, the tiger, is shifting his hunting grounds to their territory. He's apparently hunting man meat. <laughs> My favourite part of hearing you read these is your, like, reactions to what you're reading at the same time. Just makes makes this so worth it. Aren't we all hunting man meat, Shere <laughs> Oh, fuck. Okay, so he's hunting man meat. <laughs> Which, according to jungle lore, is not allowed. I've just got to push through. i got to push through. <laughs> As hunting men means white men will retaliate with guns and brown men will retaliate with rockets and torches. Sigh. Akela, is that literally what it says? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, it's not just men will retaliate. It's like basically white men will retaliate with technology and brown men will retaliate with primitive tools. God. Good God. Akela walks down to a clearing where he sees the tiger leap out to kill a couple sitting by a campfire. The The tiger misses and instead lands on the fire, burning his paws. The wolf looks directly down to notice a baby. He takes the baby back to his den where Mother Wolf becomes instantly protective of the child. Shere Khan shows up at the den and demands they hand over the baby, which turns Mother Wolf into the biggest boss wolf ever, telling the tiger that she's going to raise the man to learn to hunt and kill him and makes fun of Shere Khan's disability. (laughs) Oh oh no, Uh, because he's got a bung leg before sending him off to cry. Oh no! So he's actually oh. called the lame wolf in this because he's got like a bung leg. I don't know why, but yeah, she basically is like, "Ha ha, you're disabled," and he backs off. Even at like, like a modern day context, calling someone like the lame person is so like mm. devastating. I'm gonna start yeah. using that. I think. <laughs> um, far out. Oh, poor Shere Khan. I actually feel bad for Shere Khan now. I want him to win. Yeah, uh, the whole time I'm like, he's just a tiger doing what tigers do, you yeah, know? Yeah, <laughs> he's hunt- hunting that man meat. Um, <laughs> it's a wolf meeting to decide if Mowgli can stay and Baloo the bear votes yes. Because when you have a wolf meeting and a bear rocks up saying, yeah, yes. you're going to listen to him. <laughs> um... Oh, okay. Baloo is sort of a pseudo-wolf teacher, so he's allowed to be at the meeting. Okay, that was, that yeah, was my next... Yeah, I thought I'd better explain that. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is Baloo there for? Um, Bagheera the panther is also there because reasons and gives the wolves a freshly killed bull so he can vote to keep the kid with the wolf pack. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, cool. All right. <laughs> that, it, makes, it makes sense. I'm, I'm with it so far. Ten years later, Mowgli is now learning lots of things from Arkayla in a very everything-the-light-touches kind of way. (laughs) That sounds familiar. (laughs) Um, Baloo teaches him that monkeys are evil and what humans can and can't eat, and Bagheera teaches him useful skills like climbing and hunting. He also makes friends with Ka the snake, uh, who is on board to protect Mowgli from the evil monkeys. The whole time he is reminded by the trio that Shere Khan will try and kill him one day, so he must be ready to kill him. Meanwhile, the treacherous tiger is teaching the wolf cubs the ways of the tiger and training them to kill Mowgli. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is like some, this is, this is some fucking like Cold War CIA versus the Kremlin yeah. shit. Like, yeah, you set this in 1984. Yeah, I don't understand how like the he gets away with taking all the cubs away to like give them boot camp. Like, yeah. where, where did their parents go? They're just like, oh, yeah, off you go. 
How was your day today, son? <laughs> I am a tiger now, mother. Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, something sounds off about that. <laughs> Father Wolf is getting old and decrepit, so knowing that the pack might turn against him and make Shere Khan the leader, Bagheera tells Mowgli to get a bucket of red flour, which is fire, to counter him, as all animals are deathly afraid of fire. This will be a great weapon. A meeting is called where Shere Khan steps up to claim the throne, but Mowgli counters with a big, he doesn't even go here. The father wolf then speaks up and tells the wolves to remember the honor of the pack and protect Mowgli. Shere Khan and his wolf minions start to arc up, and just on the brink of outright mutiny, Mowgli throws the bucket of fire at the lot of them and sets them all on fire. I mean, a bucket of fire doesn't act the same way as a bucket of water. Yeah, so, I was kind of like, how big is this bucket? <laughs> And what is it made of? Like, anything is going to be either A, burnt, or B, really hot. I did not even consider what is the bucket made of. Maybe clay? Maybe because it goes down to, like, a village and gets it. So maybe it's a clay bucket. I mean, it's not a plastic bucket. That makes the most sense, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's not from, like, a $2 job from Kmart, you know. But, yeah, like, in my head it was always a wooden bucket and it never occurred to me, Stace, you can't put fire in a wooden bucket. (laughs) Bagheera takes him to meet his humans and thus ends that chapter. So that's just chapter one of Mowgli's brothers. Yeah, I've kind of put in a bit of chapter two because the snake is in chapter two. Yeah, okay. It's like he goes off to meet the humans and then chapter two goes back to all the learning he did with Baloo and Bagheera. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then chapter three, he's an adult and there's this whole thing where he keeps going back to the forest and there's some other new war thing happening i don't know it was really boring um but i felt like this was this was most relevant so i just sort of smushed a little bit of number two in there so it would make sense because like one of the biggest things is car helps them car isn't trying to eat Mowgli. yeah yeah which is a really creepy part of the movie of Mm. basically all the movies that have existed like car is kind of a bad guy in the 1994 one he's a bad guy in the you know the cartoon and the 2016 remake Mm. but you can see there i guess the framework of pretty much all of the adaptations yeah because that like feels somewhat like the the 1994 one, it feels somewhat like the cartoon, but there is a lot of differences. It is a lot darker yeah, than yeah. the movie. There's a lot of, like, very serious training and very seriously talking about the monkeys who, you know, if they find you, they're going to try and steal you and throw poo at you. Um, <laughs> and basically they get into a situation where they are surrounded by monkeys, but there's no leader, so King Louis doesn't exist. Oh, they're just like a band, you know, rebel bandits, and they surround the trio. And then Car shows up, and you've got like this forty-foot python who just throws himself over a wall, and the monkeys freak out and leave. Yeah, okay. It's only at that point he sort of considers that he could eat Mowgli, and then he's like, "Now's not the time for that," and that's the only time he ever thinks about it. Yeah. So yeah, he he rescues them from the monkeys. Right. Okay. So King Louis is is completely made completely up by made Disney, up. or yep, completely made wow. up. Wow, they do not okay, have a leader, right. and I think there's something about they are leaderless. Like they make a big point of that. Yeah, and that's the original story. So now I'm just going to compare that for those of you who have not watched the film recently. I'm going to compare that to the 1967 animated film.
the story begins with Bagheera the panther finding a baby in a basket in the middle of the jungle. He resists the temptation to walk away as opposed to, you know, eating him and instead donates this human sacrifice to a pack of wolves. The wolves decide to race him instead of, once again, obvious choice, eating him and Mowgli grows up to be a young boy. But in this film, he's called Mowgli because Walt Disney was an asshole. <laughs> Freaking out about Shere Khan, the apparently only tiger in the jungle, the wolves decide that they need to get Mowgli back to the human village before Shere Khan does the natural thing and eats him. No one wants to eat this baby except the tiger that hasn't even met him yet. I don't understand. Bagheera the panther agree agrees to take him back to the village, but Mowgli isn't super... It's so hard to... Because I have the film in my head. Yeah. But Mowgli isn't super keen on being human, so they don't exactly become the best of friends. Mowgli nearly gets eaten by a snake, infiltrates a military squad of elephants, and then finally meets our favourite big bear Baloo. Making a point of the elephants being in this and not in the book. The elephants are just such a useless part of this movie. Anyway, moving on. They are. They are. Mowgli gets kidnapped by a bunch of monkeys and taken to their orangutan leader, King Louie. King Louie is obsessed with fire and trying to pretend to be black and wants to know how men make fire. <laughs> and because Mowgli only knows human things that are convenient to the plot, he can't help him make fire. Baloo rescues Mowgli, they have an argument, Mowgli runs into a committee of vultures who decide that instead of, you know, eating him, they will just sing about friendship. They protect him from the attack of Shere Khan and thanks to a convenient lightning storm are able to chase him off with fire. Again, no one wants to eat the kid. The film wraps up with Mowgli spotting a lady human who, of course, he falls immediately in love with, springs a boner and follows her into the village. The panther and bear walk off into the jungle singing and hugging, and that is the end of the story. What a story. It's just, it's so much fluffier than the book. And that was the only kind of issue they had when they were making this film. So they spent three years creating the Jungle Book, and originally Bill Pete who had been working at Disney for a very long time, was in charge of the storyboard. And he came up with a full storyboard for The Jungle Book and Walt Disney saw it and hated it because it was too dark. We find that often that's a problem. Remember like in um, Alice in Wonderland, we had that problem. Yeah. And I think in, was it Dumbo? We had that problem where it was too dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bill Pete and Disney had a massive argument over it, which uh, led to Bill Pete resigning after 25 years working with the company. Wow. And they they never made amends before Walt Disney passed away, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess Bill got the last laugh. <laughs> I got to stop. Oh, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. That shot's gone to your head. The score was originally by Terry Gilkinson, who had written an entire score for it. And again, Walt said it's too dark because it was very closely tied to Bill Pete's storyboard. Yeah. He fired Terry from the film and instead brought across the Sherman brothers. And basically he instructed the team to scrap everything Terry Gilkinson had written and told the Sherman brothers to start from scratch. They scrapped everything except the bare necessities. And basically um, everyone in the studio had recognized that is a absolute banger of a song. Yeah. And they basically begged him to leave it in because originally he said, no, nah, I don't want anything. I want it all gone. I want to start again. And eventually they won, which was good because it got them a nomination for best best song. Yeah. It's weird that you hear about this being such a dark film with a dark score, though, because like that song is really upbeat and light. Yeah, I agree. It seems strange. But, yeah. but I think there's... Uh, do you have any cut songs for this 
movie? I do. I have uh, I have a number of cut songs, actually. I'm guessing because yeah, pretty much so probably was a few of them will be Terry's. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So yeah, that's what that's what happened with this this film. Um, it they basically wrote one and then scrapped it all and started again. And Walt Disney said to the animators, "Has anyone read the book?" And no one said anything. And he said, great, no one read it. Here's what I want. And just started telling them about the characters. Right. And they had no idea how the film was going to end. So they would create scenes and the Sherman brothers would write songs and they'd be asking like, how does this end? And Walt would say, it doesn't matter. Just like, just bring out the characters, draw out the characters, give them depth, give them stories. And uh, basically the girl that appears at the end was a bit of a, like easy way to wrap wrap it up. Yeah, right. Which not everyone agreed with initially, but then everyone loved at the end. And some people really like the idea that at the end of the film, Bagheera and Baloo are walking off arm in arm into the sunset. And then after this, when this film came out, Werner Felton and Walt Disney had passed away and they sort of drew a correlation to like, that could be Werner and Walt walking off into the sunset Aww. because they're done. Yeah, okay. You've you've fucking sold me on it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Not that they knew that at the time. He wasn't dead <laughs> yet, but <laughs> they just include like a little uh, nod to like people dying just in case someone dies. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, there's nothing that says like in memory because he he was uh, he was dead. What this came out in October the following year, so he'd been dead nearly a year. By the time this came out, yeah, you would think right. they would have put some sort of in memoriam thing in the credits. Uh, it's just um, you can actually see in the credits they say, thank God we're free. Like it's right at the bottom <laughs> of the credits. What have you <laughs> been drinking tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good times. Good times. Interestingly, um, so if we remember the sword and the stone had a whole host of problems finding someone to voice the lead character yes, art yes. because originally it was Ricky Sorensen and then it was Richard Reitherman and then it was Robert Reitherman because voices kept breaking and for some reason, I don't know, they replaced him with the two brothers. So Bruce Reitherman was one of the voices that we heard in that. He is only in this film because the original guy voicing Mowgli, whose name was David Allen Bailey, his voice broke. Right. So they were recording it over a series of three years, and I think about a year in his voice broke, so they had to get rid of rid of him. Yeah. And Bruce Ritherman's father was once again directing this movie. Yeah, okay. And so he pulled him in and got got his son Bruce to voice Mowgli and he grew up to be an environmental scientist if my my memory oh, serves right he cool. grew up to be a wildlife documentarian very cool all right very apropos life imitates art etc <laughs> so what did you think of this film overall i really liked it um it was just really feel good and the songs were really good and even the ones that I don't really remember, they, they weren't bad. They were, they were still enjoyable. I think that some of the characterization is probably a little bit two-dimensional and needs a little bit of fleshing out. Like Bagheera is not all that uh, interesting a character. His entire story arc basically is 
Oh, I'm done with this kid. I'm going to leave him alone. Oh, no, he's in trouble. I'm going to run back. Oh, you know, now I'm leaving him again because he's not listening to me. Oh, no, he's in trouble. I'm coming back. Like, that's that's Bagheera's storyline. And, yeah, but, like, I think overall it's just a fun romp. Yeah. What about yourself? I think the characters are really fun in this. Um, I agree. I just got frustrated that no one wanted to eat. Mowgli, especially because when we meet Bagheera and he is sort of the narrator of this film at the start as well, which is funny because yeah. he's also the narrator of Winnie the Pooh in real life, Sebastian Cabot. Oh, okay. um, yeah. <laughs> but he says something like, you know, I saw this man, Cub, and I ignored my natural instinct and I'm like, to eat him, yeah. to walk away. I'm like, that is not your natural instinct. You are a predator. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. And I also found Winnie the Pooh being an evil snake very strange. Oh, that's who the voice is. Because is that was Car the um, Cheshire Cat as well? He was the Cheshire Cat as well. Yeah, okay. That's why it's all clicking together in my head now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that he has such a, Sterling Holloway has such a distinguishable voice. Yeah. And to children... I mean, I hear the Cheshire Cat as well, but Winnie the Pooh was quite big at this time on TV. So kids would instantly recognise that voice as Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. And it's funny because Bruce Ritherman was Christopher Robin in Winnie the Pooh and Sebastian Cabot was the narrator for Winnie the Pooh. And I can't remember who else, but there's there's four of them in this that were all Winnie the Pooh. But, yeah, just to hear, like, Winnie the Pooh when he's a villain was kind of weird to me. I think it was just weird, unimaginative voice casting there yeah i I really like the way the animation of car is i think it moves like a snake and it's very um it's just very very clever and very snake-like and um i at my last school i worked out i was caring for uh, three snakes and they just it immediately i was like it's moving like a snake like they've they've Mm. fucking studied a snake and they've got that movement down pat it looks so good yeah i agree with that i thought uh, especially when he's like falling out the tree and then he becomes an accordion. I think there's just some really fun stuff. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like was when he fell out the tree the second time. It was the animation was identical. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Welcome yeah. to the Xerox age. We can just <laughs> copy and paste. Da, da, da. Um, <laughs> I noticed people. I noticed. But yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did really like that. I, I found it really funny that Bagheera gets really angry at Baloo when, you know, he's with Baloo and he gets captured by the monkeys and Bagheera's, yeah, he was in your care. How could you? And I'm thinking when he was in your care, he nearly got eaten by a snake, dude. So I think fair. Yeah, fair. mate, you have fucked off so yeah. often <laughs> in this kid's life. You can't say anything, mate. That's fair. That's fair. I think the also just while we're talking about animation, I think the characterization of Baloo is exceptionally cute. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't all that convinced that he was like, I wasn't convinced he looked as much like a bear as he could, but then I looked up what kind of bear he is and he is a sloth bear. And if you've ever seen a sloth bear, it's pretty close. Like he looks pretty close to what a sloth bear looks like. And again, I think sloth bears are really cute. Look at that. Yeah. It's so fluffy. And yeah, like the whole song about him um, eating ants and, you know, fruit and stuff like that. That's what sloth bears eat. I, I, again, I just assumed it was a a story beat, but it's true. Sloth bears eat that fruit That is a and very insects. fluffy little bear. And by little bear, He's I mean so very fluffy. big He's bear. He's a good boy. 
<laughs> well, they're not, they're not that. that big. They're actually they're actually around my size. Oh, really? What I worked, yeah, like they're um, the largest of them uh, can be just a little bit taller than me, and they can weigh a bit more than me. But overall, they're about my Ooh, size. Oh, there's an epic video of a sloth bear fighting a tiger that you can watch, and the bear wins. Oh, hey, ah. might look that up later. Again, like, come on, Baloo, you can take on Shikhan. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think um, something that really I didn't particularly like about this was I found the backgrounds in this are more traditional in that yeah, we've okay. gone back from the whole Xerox, like 101 Dalmatians backgrounds, and we've gone back into more that painted, beautiful backdrop. However, the characters yep. are still that very Xeroxed defined animation yeah okay and it, it is particularly noticeable in things like the bear necessities yeah. where he lifts the rock and the rock is so detailed and gorgeous but because he's a bit more simple yeah like the the contrast there is really really huge yeah and i just found in the whole film i found that a little bit jarring it just didn't gel with me i was like pick pick one or the other you can't have both one looks really modern one doesn't yeah absolutely so that that really jarred with me but overall yeah it's an it's an enjoyable film and the the live animation uh, despite the christopher walken thing is is quite quite good it's I'm King Louie, yeah. uh, uh. Like this, this is by no means a life-changing film, but it's an enjoyable film. Yeah, a good one for yeah. kids. Good one for kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, and there's a little bit of problematic stuff in it, which we'll get into. But um, yeah, it's you're right. It's an enjoyable one for kids, I think. Mm. But look, um, should we get stuck into the song stackers? Let's time to get into the songs. Hey guys, Will here. Just want to take a second to thank each of our Patreons for their continued support of the show. Without you guys, we really couldn't make it, so thank you. Thank you so much for helping us make this something that people want to listen to. If you do want to join us on Patreon, you can. You can find us at patreon.com slash dissectingdisney, where you can get access to bonus episodes, early release main feed episodes, and some other cool stuff as we build our fan base. We also have some merch available now too, so you can check that out along at that website. If you aren't in a position to support us on Patreon, that's absolutely fine, of course. The best thing you can do to support us is share us with your friends. Tell them what we're doing. Tell them that we're trying to answer the impossible question. Help us grow the show into something bigger. Thank you so much, guys, and we'll get back into The Jungle Book. So just before we mention the songs, I just, I'm just i looking at my, my viewing notes. And the first yep. things I've written are... So nice of the wolves to make him a modesty cloth and teach him how to walk on two legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is really nice of them. It's almost like they looked at him and went, he's not a wolf. We should raise him like a man. Yeah. Here is this nice bit of red cloth that we yeah. made without... Where the shit did they get that from? Put it over your non-hairy balls. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the second thing I wrote was yet another British accented movie with an American lead boy. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's strange that they've got this sort of to and fro of um, of of accents and hodgepodge. I suppose it, it's not a deal breaker or anything, but it seems like a strange choice. Like, why would some people go and and put on a British accent or, or you know, and others won't? Uh, it, it just it does. It feels a little bit sort of chop choppy changey. I think. Yeah. So when Roger Kipling wrote this in eighteen is it sixty three, uh, something like that, eighteen ninety three. 93. Um, 93. 
that was in the time that uh, Britain had taken over taken over India, which we call British India or British Raj. And yep. so he was an Indian-born British man. And yep. so uh, basically, like, the history of India is a mess. It's a constant, like, these people tried to take over, then these people took over, and then these people extorted the spices, and then these people extorted this. And basically, British India was the British extorting the Indian people for everything they've got. It's very sad. Yeah. And so I understand that Rudyard Kipling's world was kind of the white side of India because Mm. even though there was this supposed, you know, we're doing it for the benefit of the Indian people, the Indian people were never equal. No. And (laughs) quite amused when Britain came out with, this thing called democracy. And they're like, oh, that's very interesting because that's not what we experienced. <laughs> and so um, British India actually was uh, lasted all the way until the mid-40s, 1940s. Yeah, okay. And so this film came out in the 60s. So we're not too far from where, you know, Britain was still the dominant force in India before India re you know, recaptured their own country, essentially, and then split, yeah. split things into regions of religion, which is not how religion works, and that's why India is still at war with, you know, <laughs> Pakistan and whatnot. Yeah, But yeah. I just find it really interesting that America has gone, okay, we've got this film and it's set in India and we've got a clearly Indian lead male. They, you know, they've, they've given him brown skin. He is an Indian boy. Yeah. But... We're going to give everybody British accents. Yeah. There's not not a lick of Indian accent in sight. Feels a bit on the nose. Yeah. And it just feels very like, uh, it's it's kind of like everyone's got these these really nice British accents until you get to, well, the lead boy, but the hero was always American. And then you get to the orangutans and they're talking jive because they're clearly trying to be black so they're like the rebels and the the more primitive people so we're going to make them the black people and then when we get to the vultures they're really stupid so they're going to be british but just like lower class british so they've all got liverpudlian accents um and so i still see like a big kind of racial statement on this film because not a single person in this indian film is is actually indian no no and that's it's it's that erasure that we um, that we hear a lot about, and that we we are seeing being talked about a lot, um, particularly you know in 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 uh, you know amateur theatre in Melbourne. There's a lot of discussion about erasure of um, you know BIPOC mm. uh, people and and cultures and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, it's it, it's really frustrating when you see it pop up in a movie like this because, like I said, I really enjoyed this movie, but then it got to the King Louis stuff in particular where it is so overt, and I was like, oh my. God. God, yeah. Ah, oh, you just it. It becomes a bit tiresome. It becomes really tiresome. And, and I mean, I, I say that with you know all due respect to the bipolar people who have been dealing with this for you know countless centuries. It's it's hard. Yeah, it does make it it does make it really hard to watch in the twenty first century because there are a lot of uncomfortable moments. You know, like Bagheera saying to Louis, "Would you marry a panther?" And I get that he's a panther, but I hear, "Would you marry a black person?" You know, it's just like. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> mm. um, yeah. yeah, there's just there's so many moments where you sort of go, are they are they literally talking about animals or is there like another like subtext in here that or is that just my 21st century 
brain reading it and but i think that the i think the thing is um whenever we view something we view a piece of art or we view a view piece of medium it is viewed through the lens of the time period in which it's being viewed it's not mm. something that is timeless um and if something is described as timeless usually it's because it still meets a criteria of what's good in that time period, you know, like it's it, everything is going to be viewed through the lens through which we look at it. And, you know, yeah, it is really hard. And it's, it's um, interesting to see that in the, in the 1994 version, they used a, I think he's pretty sure he's Chinese. Um, he has to the played Mowgli. Uh, he is of Hawaiian and Chinese descent. Yeah. Hawaiian and Chinese. Yeah. yeah. So that was Jason Scott Lee is, Hawaiian Chinese and then in the 2016 version the child that plays Mowgli is finally Indian yeah and they said you know they searched through thousands of children I'm like I'm just so glad you've landed on a good choice yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. becomes good, that same that, that same argument we keep um, hearing oh well no one auditioned you know yeah <laughs> oof Anyway. Oh, dear. Anyway, into the first song, Will. What was well, it? Well, the first song, Stack, is, is actually a songs from the cutting room floor. Songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room floor. Bow! Out of the jungle, out of the sky, whether the just or the least Whether we walk or whether we fly Bird, fish or man or beast So that is called Brothers All and Brothers All is a song that is being sung um, as the opening number it's the opening number was the original opening number of the film. It sounds like the Indians from Peter Pan doing the circle of life. Kind of. Yeah, it has that same vibe, I guess. It's like come come one, come all. If you if you crawl or you fly, come to where we are. Yeah, which basically brings us into the second Songs from the Cutting Room Floor. Whoa, double header. Yeah, double header. This is called The Song of the Sioni, which is being sung by the, the wolf pack. So as they're sort of gathering to meet. <laughs> to the moon we lift our voices. <laughs> So that's Song of the CNE. That's boring. Yeah, it has a similar vibe, I guess. Maybe it's just because of the sort of semi archipelagus as the Vulture yeah, song later yeah. in the movie. Which is also boring. Yeah, but more somber and, and less interesting, I guess. Yeah, it's so, so different to the Sherman score. Absolutely, yeah. Which, again, surprises me that the Bare Necessities, firstly, 
was so different and upbeat and secondly fit, seems to fit in so well yeah. with the rest of the Sherman score. Yeah, you can't imagine them playing the bird necessities after that and going, yeah, all part of the same show. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, starting off with two songs from the cutting room floor, instead we get no songs up until, oh, what's it called? The March, uh, Colonel Hathi's March. Company, oh, the aim of our patrol is a question rather droll for to march and kill over field and hill. This scene is so pointless. Yeah, it really serves no purpose. And their only existence really serves to drop to Shere Khan later that there is a man cub. It's just, I didn't I didn't get why it was there. I kind of, oh, I just hated the whole thing. And like in, um, in elephant packs, the elef- the female elephant, they've got a matriarch. Yeah, the they have matriarch, a female yeah. leader. So I get that there's a bit of a joke when he's like, ha ha, a woman in charge, imagine that. But oh, I just, oh God, the, the, everything, I hate it. This is just a little sidebar, but I found it really cute that the baby elephant had like a mop of hair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the only thing, good thing to take away from this song, I think. <laughs> yeah, the baby elephant's cute. And I get that it sort of gives Mowgli a friend. Yeah. But I don't know. That just I, we didn't we didn't need it. All right. So what did you rate uh, Colonel Hathi's March? Very poorly. I gave it one for music, one for lyrics, two for animation, and zero for its cake score. Zero for contribution and zero for its cake score. Yeah. Okay. Um. I very similar, but I, I think slightly kinder. Gave it a two for music. Um. A one for lyrics a two for animation, a zero for contribution, and a one for cake score. Hey, you remembered you could rate things zero. I did, yeah. And I actually only remembered as I was revising the scores uh, before we started recording, I went, I don't remember this song at all. Oh, I can rate it as a zero. That's right. Yeah. Uh, And for those of you who, for some reason, didn't pay attention to last uh, last. I was going to say last week's episode, but for those of you who haven't yet listened to our previous intro episode, we have introduced a fifth score in order to throw the scoring more in favour of the music and less balanced with animation, uh, yep. which is our cake score, which stands for our catchy Kylie earworm score. Basically, when the credits are rolling, do you still remember how the song goes? If so, rate it out of five. If you don't, big old donut. Have you come to record your podcast and you say to your co-host, what the fuck is this song? (laughs) Yeah. If so, rate it a zero. Does it get any cake or just a donut? There we go. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'm into that. So many sweet treats to be had. (laughs) All right, so that moving right along, we come to the song that you probably remember the most, Bare Necessities. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Stackers. Yes? I love this song. 
This is very you, this song. I adore this song. There is so much about it that I just love. Tell me all about it. What do you love? I think the lyrics are so clever. This whole section, I'll, I'll just read it out to you. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. I think that is utter genius. That's very cool. It's brilliant. I love it so much. When you pick a poor paw or a prickly pear and you prick a raw paw, next time beware. It's <laughs> absolute lyrical genius. I think this might be the first song that I'm going to rate as five for lyrics. Oh, wow. I think it might be. I'm just looking back over the past scores now, and I don't think I've rated anything else as a five for lyrics. Oh, my God. I don't think you have. I have. I've given a couple of fours. I gave Cruella de Vil five. Oh, did I give Cruella de Vil no, five? No, you gave it four. Yeah, okay. This is my first five for lyrics. Oh, my God, Will, I'm so proud of you. I cannot emphasise enough how brilliant I think the lyrics of this song are. But that's, look, I, I, I could just sit here and talk. I, I, will just, I could just repeat how brilliant <laughs> the lyrics are all for the rest of this podcast, but I won't bore you with that. I'll instead just read out the rest of my scores to you. <laughs> so I gave it a four for music. Yep. A five for lyrics. Yeah. A three for animation, yeah. a three for contribution, uh-huh. and a five for the cake score. The animation lost a point because of what we were talking about just before, the contrast between characters and backgrounds, Yeah, and it's just a bit jarring. But yeah. there is so much fun stuff that's happening in this song. It is so good. <laughs> about this song i rated it well not as highly as you um but i gave it a four for music i gave it a yep. three for lyrics i guess i just didn't catch on to it as much as, as you i'm so sorry I utter um, utter travesty I'm utter so travesty sorry. cancel cancel this <laughs> podcast no <laughs> um, no of course we're all entitled to our own opinions. Animation, I gave two and a half because I, I think I think the animation in itself is really sweet. But yeah, just have that jarring thing. Um, contribution to story, I gave three. I think it just sets up their relationship really nicely. Yep. And cake score, I gave it a four. Yeah, okay. We're pretty close on that then. We've been pretty close so far this episode. Good. Cool. All right. So uh, what did you think? You watched the live action as well, didn't you? Uh, I did, yeah. Like I said, I sort of skimmed through it. What did you think of Bill Murray doing this? I thought Bill Murray, I thought was, I don't think he sang the song very well. Hmm. Um, And I think that that sort of took away from it a little bit. But I thought he was quite good in his Bill Murray way in the, in the, like, the voice acting. I thought like the, the scene where Ma- Mowgli's climbing the, the mountain and he's trying to sort of hit the honey down and there's the banter with the little critters that are coming along saying, oh, you know, you're going to lose another monkey up there or something. <laughs> I think that's all very fun and his banter and that's quite fun. Mm. I th- so I think, I think, sorry to answer your question, I think that his performance as Baloo is pretty good. I don't think his performance in Bear Necessities is all that good. Good for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessity of Mother Nature's recipe that brings the bare necessities of life. I think it's tough to uh, compete because Phil Harris, when we when we look at the voice actors in Disney movies, um, 
one of the one of the greatest performances that pretty universally is considered to be the greatest is Robin Williams in uh, Aladdin with the genie. Yeah, which yeah. we know like 80, 90 percent of that script is just coming off the top of his head. Yeah. In this, Phil Harris did something very, very similar. So he was a um, quite a famous uh, comedian at the time and he was brought in to read for Baloo and he looked at the script and said, I can't, I can't read this. This isn't me. Yeah. Can I just, can I just do it my way? Can I tell you how I do it? And they said, yeah, all right. And then he basically gave what, what is in the film now. So most of what he does is just him doing his own thing. Yeah. And that includes in, and when we get there, I want to be like you, all of his scat is his own thing. The Sherman said, you're just going to do an echo. And he said, no, no, no I'm going to do my own thing. Just let me try. Um, so there's a lot to be said for how great Baloo is in the original animation yeah. because of Phil Harris just doing what he does best. Out of curiosity, do you happen to know off the top of your head who plays Baloo in the um, in the sequel? In the sequel? <sighs> yeah, there's an animated there. sequel. <laughs> Baloo was voiced by John Goodman. Really? I can see why. Yeah. Mowgli is voiced by Haley Joel Osment. Who the shit is that? The Sixth Sense Kid. <gasps> really? Yeah. I see dead people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sh- Shanti, who I'm assuming is uh, Mowgli's girlfriend in that, is played by Mae Whitman, who you may not know, but she was... Um, did you ever watch Arrested Development? Yes. She was Egg. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- three really big names just in that top three. There's also John Reese davies in the voice cast, Phil Collins oh, in him. the voice cast. Oh, Don't like him, do you? <laughs> just wait till we get to Tarzan, mate. Just wait. <laughs> I am so keen. <laughs> I cannot wait to the utter chaos that ensues when we talk about that movie. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's, um, that, yeah, Really fascinating voice cast. Really fascinating. Future bonus episode. Future bonus episode. Um, coming, some, you know, somewhere yeah, down the line. Yeah. Might not be so painful. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was just a little sidebar. Back back to the music. So Stackers, that brings us to the next in our Songs from the Cutting Room Floor. Songs from the Cutting Room, Songs from the Cutting Room, Songs from the Cutting Room Floor. Uh, so basically there's all that scene where um, uh, Baloo's floating down the river and the monkeys steal uh, Mowgli from him. Mm. Uh, and there was originally a song written for that called Monkey See, Monkey Do. Okay. Monkey see, monkey do, everything much better than you. Incredibly boring. Who wrote that one? Uh, written by Terry Gilkison. Right. Yeah. That's a bit more in the vein of the bare necessities. A little bit, yeah. And I, I suppose you can imagine if it's fleshed out with a bit more orchestration um, and, you know, proper singers as opposed to it just being a demo. Yeah, I guess you yeah. could see how it would fit in the same film as bare necessities. And definitely a lot cuter and less racist then I want to be like you. Yeah, which is the song we are coming to. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop and that's what's bothering me. 
I want to be a man, man cop, and stroll right into town, and be just like the other men, I'm tired of walking around, oh, ooby-doo, I want to be like you, I want to walk like you, talk like you, you see it's true, an ape like me, We said this when we covered Dumbo and we covered um, When I See an Elephant Fly. It's a shame that the characterization of King Louis is so problematic because this song is really good. Yeah. So I've written in my notes, as soon as these monkeys appeared on the screen, oh, man, the monkeys are talking jive and they're villains. Yeah. Great. Yep. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. so... The Sherman brothers, when they approached this idea, said, we'll make him a jazz man. So uh, what's his name? Louis King Prima. Louis is voiced by Louis, Louis Prima, who yep. is a um, jazz musician. And on a side note, the animators had a great time because he brought in his whole jazz band. Louis Prima was did have his own band. And basically there's footage, and we'll throw this up on the socials, of his band just like playing and walking around and being really animated. And they based a lot of the animation of the monkeys playing instruments on his own band, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah. So originally King Louis was intended to be voiced by Louis Armstrong. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And Walt Disney vetoed the idea because he thought people will call us racist if we cast a black man as an ape. Yeah, look, that that in itself, yeah, look, it's probably one of the few things that Walt Disney has said that I completely agree with. Yes, we would have called However, you a racist. <laughs> However. Keep, keeping, keeping the black lingo... And then just replacing him with a white guy yeah. was not the way to fix that. Yeah. Look, it, it's 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 a grey-ish... Well, no, it's not a grey area. Louis Prima was an Italian-American. Uh-huh. Um, but he, so he, he, I suppose, you know, he could claim that he had some sort of BIPOC ancestry, um, but he was he's not... He's not African American. He, he, he doesn't talk with you know Amer- African American vernacular English. He he is putting on this character, and that's a problem. And it it's the same problem we had with the Dumbo song. The characterization is a problem. the The song itself, taken out of context, is not problematic. It's not perpetuating problematic um, views or anything like that. At least in my read of it, you might have a different agree a uh, different yeah. thought. Um, but the characterization is so so problematic. Yeah, I I do have a huge issue with with the lyrics. Okay. I think the the melody is is fun. Yeah. Um, and it, it's uh you know in a similar way to, um, not everybody wants to be a cat. Bloody when I see an elephant fly, like musically it's a bop. Yeah. So where it where it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable yeah. is, the chorus is, I want to be like you. I want to walk like you, talk like you. You'll see it's true, an ape like me yeah. can learn to be human too. Now, I get, I get they are literally apes wanting to be human. Yeah. But they are literally apes speaking jive 
which basically is trying to make them black. So yeah, then you've got yeah. black people looking at, and I, I get that Mowgli is, you know, has brown skin, but there's just something about, and I'm an ape and I want to learn to be human like you, that doesn't sit well with me. I think yeah. if he wasn't singing in jive, if we didn't make this jazz, um, which was still very much music of um, people of colour, yeah. and you know, and the uh, we're, we're sort of white people are starting to steal it here. You know, Elvis is on his way, but um, it just to me, it, it seems like a very yeah. No, no, fair really enough. Hard yeah. line. I can, I can, I can agree with that, and I think you know, Christopher Walken singing it is a different vibe altogether. Yeah. You know, the, I'm the king of the swingers. All like, yeah. <laughs> oh, what we do? I wanna be like you. I want to walk like you, talk like you, too. <laughs> Jungle <laughs> that VIP. That's not racist. That's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, look, I can I can see that. So should we not rate this song? Um, look, I'm happy to rate it. I think in a sim, in similar to what we did with um, when I see an elephant fly, I'm happy to just dedu- deduct five off it. Yeah. Um, because I understand... He is an ape and he wants to be human. Yeah, you just, you miss the mark. It's with just a bit icky. Just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, okay. Um, so, yeah, what did you, what did you rate this? Okay, so I rated this at a four for music. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a three for lyrics, uh-huh. a three for animation, a two for contribution, and a four for cake score. Yeah, cool. I think I was pretty similar. Let me have a look. I had four for music. Three for lyrics, two for animation. Yep. One for contribution to story, and four for Kate score. Because my God, it is damn catchy. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Moving on to our one that is no, not quite as icky. Well, a little bit icky if you think about the animal. Trust in me. Trust in me. Just in me Shut your eyes Trust in me Hold still, please You can sleep Safe and sound Knowing I Am Okay, so Stackers, this song has an interesting history in that it was originally uh, written to be in Mary Poppins, which the Sherman Brothers also wrote, um, and it was originally called The Land of Sand. So we'll just play a little bit of that for you now. Here in the land of sand, nothing is what it seems. So this is like a songs from the cutting room floor of a different film. Yeah, yeah. And we, we've seen that a couple of times where songs have been picked up and used in other films and stuff like that. So it's, oh, yeah, yeah, there was Second Start of the Right was in... Was in uh, Alice in Wonderland. Was? Yeah. 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 The um, Beyond the Laughing Sky it was originally called. So it's something that the, the Disney is doing. And you can hear the sort of same sort of um, like lullaby-esque 
way of the vocals. Lullaby, my God, like creepy-ass nightmare fuel lullaby, sure. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, look, this is the kind of child I was growing up, so (laughs) if I wasn't nightmaring, there was a problem. (laughs) But no, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, the same sort of sweeping, almost melody that's very sort of... Do you know what what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that kind of, like, eerie... Snake charmy, I, I don't yeah. get lullaby, yeah. I get snake charmy, but I think um, I, hypnotic. hypnotic. Hypnotic is the word I'm trying to say. Yeah, yes, okay. it's hypnotic. That same sort of hypnotic sound. So yeah, you can definitely see how it became the other. Um, but mm. this song kind of is just fine for me. Yeah, I really like. I really like this score. I think this is one of George Bruns's best scores. In that, I think it's very in, heavily influenced by the Sherman's creating leitmotifs and scattering them throughout the score. Yeah. Um, and, well, and asking George to scatter them throughout the score because every time we see the snake, the snake is nearby or there's any sort of um, mention of trust, you hear this um, leitmotif. Yeah. And I really, really liked it. You also hear the My Own Home motif all the way through the score as well. We'll get, we'll get there when mm. we get there. So, yeah, I kind of just really like that very snake-like hypnotic um hypnotic sound that it has and I think it, it is much better served in this than in Mary Poppins um, I think she does sing it Is it Scarlett Johansson sings this in the live action she does sing she it, does she? yeah she does sing it trust in me trust in me shut your eyes trust in I get it's sort of a nothing song to sing, yeah. but I, I think it, it, it does the job. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it makes great use of the S, trust in me, close your eyes and yes. trust in me. Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So for that alone, I sort of rated it, f- you know, I gave it a fairly fair rating, I think, for yeah. music in particular. Um, But, yeah, look, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go oh, first? Oh, yeah, I'll fire away. So I gave this a th- – oh, hang on. I got my scores all mixed up here. Yeah. That's right. I gave this a three for music. I really like the hypnotic sound of it. I gave it a two for lyrics. There's not much to it. I gave it a four for animation because I really like the animation of the snake overall. I gave it a one for contribution to story and I gave it two for the cake score. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, I gave it a three for music, Mm -hmm. um, a one for lyrics, Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, yeah, it makes good use of the S's. Actually, yeah, I'm going to bump that to two because you're right. It makes good use of the S's. And initially I thought that would be a music thing, but no, it's definitely a lyrics thing. So um, two for mu- uh, lyrics, a four for animation, uh, a zero for contribution, and a zero <laughs> for cake score because I could, I struggled <laughs> to remember how this song went. <laughs> I remember it a bit more than you. I think... Um, with uh, Contribution, I think it would rank higher if it was the Hypnosis song. Yeah. But this is the, I want to say the third time we've met the snake when he, when he finally sings this. And although he is using it for Hypnosis, um, he, he's already hypnotized multiple creatures yeah. before this point. Yeah. So we don't really no, need that's it. it. That's more the, the effect of the music than the, the lyric. Um, yeah. And it, if it had a lasting effect on the story as well, but it doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. 
All right. So that's Trust in Me. That's Trust in Me. Now we have two more songs from the cutting room floor. What? There are so many. There are so many. Songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room, songs from the cutting room. So the first one today is, uh, or in this section, is called I Knew I Belonged to Her. And it is sung by Mowgli to Bagheera. Last night I dreamed a most wonderful dream Of places that I had once known On the edge of the forest by a clear water stream Was a garden of flowers full grown But I knew Oh, I knew I had been there before Down the dark path of memories I roamed And when I saw a house With a wide open door Then I knew I belonged to that home So yeah, that's uh, I Knew I Belonged to Her And basically Who, who sung this? Uh, so Mowgli is singing it to Bagheera and he's basically sort of singing about a dream he had where he came to a village and his mother was there and he knew that that's where he belonged. Right. Mm. It's very Sword in the Stone. It is. It has that same sort of sound, that sort of like light guitar, folky mm. sort of almost medieval looty sound. Yeah, you're right. It does sound like that. It's simple. It's it's like a really boring version of The Sword and the Stone. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, that was written by Terry Gilkerson, um, and I'm assuming cut when everything else was cut. Yeah. But that sort of transitions uh, almost immediately into another song called In a Day's Work. When the sun comes up, one button oversize and jump right out of that bed. When the sun comes up, you should also rise, or you're never going to get ahead. If you love life and you like to eat your duties, you shouldn't shirk. Get out in the world, move out of those feet, it's all in a day's work, in a day's work, in a day's work. So having heard that song, Stackers, can you tell me who you think sings that song? I don't know, someone who's opening some terrible 60s TV show about a bear who needs hugs. <laughs> Very close. It's Baloo the Bear. Oh, it's Phil Harris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Baloo and um, Bagheera sing to Mowgli about how it's really important that he um, goes back to the village and he um, he sort of tries his hardest and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> um, yeah, uh, uh, again, written by Terry Gilkison cut when everything else was cut. It's it's so interesting given that these were all written by a different person. So it's sort of showing us the the score the soundtrack that could have been and the soundtrack we got. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I I think overall I prefer the soundtrack we got. Yeah. Um but it is interesting and I would have liked to have he- heard all of Terry Gilkison's songs completely fleshed out with orchestra, with proper singers, just to hear what it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, he just somehow struck it bang on with bare necessities. Yes. And I think even if you if you heard a demo recording of that, you'd still go, that's a bit of a bop. I just think these are that the style seems so confused. Yeah, it does. And it's it's weird because the thing I love most about the band Necessities, which I've frothed on about for so long, <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the lyrics are so clever 
none of that is present in any of these cut songs. Yeah. So I, it feels very jarring. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. It's sort of like that's got this cool kind of, I don't know, jazzy Dixie kind of feel, which is more in yeah. line with I want to be like you than anything else. But he didn't write that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very different. Yeah. But yeah, those are that's two more of our songs from the cutting room floor, and we are moving into that's what friends are for. For good times and bad times, I'll be on your side forevermore. Wrong song, wrong song, stackers. Oh, sorry, sorry, my bad, my bad. When you're alone, when you're alone, who comes around? To pluck you up. Give us a smile. When you are down. When you are down. And when you're outside looking in, who's there to open the door? Come on, kid, we need a tenor. What friends are Yeah, this is one of those. This is one of the two songs that I went to you at the start of the, this recording. What is this song? I do not remember it. I still don't remember it. No. I just remember it being a really boring barbershop number. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, look, I am going to go on. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. I uh, spent some time in an a cappella group called Suede. Let me tell you how it is. And so I have a very, I have a bit of a, a soft spot for anything a cappella, anything barbershop. So I, yeah, I, I kind of had a soft spot for this song when I was when I was rating it, when I was watching the movie, but it left my brain immediately. Mm. So it, yeah, yeah, I just found it very derivative. Like there was nothing interesting about it. No, no, and it, it is weird. It, it's a choice that they've gone for this like Beatles esque gang. Mm. So. Speaking of the Beatles, yeah, they were meant to be voiced by the Beatles. Of course they fucking were. Of course they were. But this is the late 60s when the Beatles have moved from their boy band look into their, like, hippie psychedelic phase. This would have been a weird thing Yeah, we're thing heading into the hardcore to. drugs. Um, yeah. <laughs> so basically um, John Lennon was the one that said no, and he told yeah. them to get Elvis instead, which is kind oh, of wow. funny considering there's four of them, and he said just get Elvis, what to voice or for. Um, I just find it funny that they they kept the birds as they were. And it's sort of like we couldn't get the Beatles, so we got these B-grade guys with liverpudlian accents to... You still get it right, guys. It's still a joke, right? You You, still get the the joke, right? right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then the song was originally... It was still called That's What Friends Are For, but it was sort of more of a, like, 60s rock kind of vibe. Right, okay. And so when they couldn't get the Beatles, despite the fact leaving the animation as it was and keeping the liverpudlian accents they did decide to not do a terrible interpretation of the Beatles and instead made it a barbershop quartet song, which is what we've got in the film now. Yeah, interesting. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Um, look, I, I rated this song. It exists. 
Here's my scores. I gave it a three. <laughs> I gave it a three for music, um, a two for lyrics, a one for animation, a one for contribution, and a zero for cake. Well, you were kinder to it than me. I think you just got sucked in by the acapella thing. You suck. I definitely um, did, and I know I did, and I'm mad that I did. But I'm also <laughs> like, this is who I am. So. <laughs> you be you. I gave it one for music, one for lyrics, one for animation, zero for contribution, and zero for cake. It's probably the lowest <laughs> score I've ever given. Um, oh, genius! Yeah, yeah. So that one, that one's not going to win. I'm sorry, guys. If no. you really like that one, that that ain't coming in the top. T- yeah, 50. sorry, guys. <laughs> if you love, that's what friends are for. <laughs> Might not be the podcast for you. Um, <laughs> so, look, Stackers, this will be where I pop in our last Songs from the Cutting Room floor. We're going to hear a lot of my voice at high speed. Songs from the Cutting Room, Songs from the Cutting Room, Songs from the Cutting Room. I actually don't know where in the movie this is supposed to be, but I'm going to put it here because this is where, like, the Shere Khan sort of uh, climax is. But basically there was a song that was included, again, by Terry Gilkerson. Um, it featured Shere Khan and Buldeo the Hunter, which is a character who was cut oh, from the movie. Oh, yeah. The Hunter's yeah. a big part of the book. I didn't write that in, but, yeah, there's a big thing yeah. about the Hunter. Okay, so basically this is the Hunter and Shere Khan kind of, um, like, chasing each other, basically, and how much they hate each other. And, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll just play a bit for you. to hate me when you know me very slightly when you know me better then you can judge me rightly and all who know me very well hate me hate me hate me more than tongue can tell that's enough of that. <laughs> um, it feels almost like a Western song. Like it feels like it belongs on like, a, you know, a Clint yeah, Eastwood, I was gonna late say, 60s. Yeah. I was going to say it's Scar from The Lion King meets Judd from Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'm that's Western the crossover we need to see. I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shag Judd. I fight alone. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah, so that's um, that's the, the song that was given to Shere Khan that was ultimately cut, leaving us with no song for Shere Khan. Yeah, so basically the hunter was cut from the books. Uh, sorry, the hunter was cut from the movie because Walt Disney found that stuff too heavy because there's sort of a, a commentary in the book about how the animals fear the hunter and the hunter basically people attack animals because animals attack people and what they don't understand is the whole reason animals attack people is because people are destroying nature and people are hunt you know hunting them that's the only right. reason animals retaliate they wouldn't attack people if they didn't come into their territory trying to kill them in the first place that's quite a progressive view for the 60s yeah and so Walt was like that's too heavy get rid of the hunter because there's mentions of like traps throughout the book and that sort of thing. And that's why, you know, man is man is evil because they're constantly trying to kill the animals. So it's not really the animal's fault for, right. you know, wanting to eat them if they come into territory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they, he just cut all of that stuff. There we go. That's really, really interesting. Mm. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's the last songs from the cutting room floor. So that's the last time 
you're going to hear that theme <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> okay, that leaves us with one final song that Will cannot remember any of. Not in the slightest. My Own Home. melody appears all the way through the movie mm. and is sort of the the leitmotif for Mowgli's sense of self, I guess human self. Yeah. And so it sort of makes a strong link when finally you hear it vocalised. It's like, oh, it's the song of his people, of like who he is. Yeah, okay. Really. So it's the kind of, it's the song that's calling him home essentially. Yeah. It doesn't stop it from being an absolute piece of misogynistic bullshit. Oh, oh, what are the, where's the lyrics? My own home. I will have a handsome husband (laughs) or something. Yeah, so it's father, father's hunting in the forest, mother's cooking in the home. I must go to fetch the water till the day I'm grown. And then later it's once I have a daughter, I'll send her to fetch the water whilst (laughs) I'll be cooking at home. So, (laughs) uh, Uh, yeah, it's just, I think it annoys me because this is how, Disney is so responsible for how children see the world and how children see society. I agree. And that's something that I've sort of been getting hung up a lot on in past episodes is what are kids taking away from this movie when they go to see it? What are they latching onto? What lessons are they learning? And, you can, yeah, it's interesting to think about how we are so defined by the movies that we saw as kids, Yeah, um, which... You know, and then you. Th- I wanted to be a princess. Yeah, and then you think about the generation before us. You know, our parents' generation who probably saw this in the cinema, or or you know something like that, and how they're defined by what they saw and all this sort of stuff. And you can see these generational shifts, and it starts with owning and changing attitudes around uh, entertainment. Yeah, I mean, we we mentioned last. Mm. Uh, episode about the lack of female voice in the Sword in the Stone, being the horny yes. squirrel and oh the two horny squirrels and oh and Madame Mim who's just and like Madame Mim outright yeah. crazy and keeps yeah. banging on about how ugly she insane is. lady yeah yes so in yeah. this there are only three female characters so there is the mother wolf yep who's all about being maternal. I'm so maternal. Please watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend so you get my references. Um, And then Not going to happen. Sorry. (laughs) Make it happen, Will. (laughs) That'll be my Christmas gift. Just tell me that you watched at least season one. All right. I'll work on it. Then there is the elephant... The elephant matriarch who basically is made Who's fun of- Who's a nag, of, essentially. Yeah, yeah, she's a nag and they make fun of her for wanting to be in charge, basically, and really elephant female elephants are bosses. Um, yeah. And then there's this, who's just like a pretty little Indian girl who flirts with a boy and walks off and sings a song about how great it is to be part of this, you know, American mm. dream misogynistic society. She doesn't even really flirt with him. She just gives him the eyes. 
Yeah, she gives him the sexy you know, the- Nala eyes and then accidentally, yeah. inverted commas, um, drops this very durable <laughs> clay pot of yeah. water. <laughs> uh, much more durable than your clay version of uh, the carpenter. The carpenter. <laughs> 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 little bit of a throwback there to Alice in Wonderland, guys. <laughs> things, are, um, things are very durable. Like that clay pot doesn't smash. His underwear, when um, Bagheera grabs the butt of it and tries yeah. to rip it apart, I'm like, my God, what is this underwear made of? Diamond thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, and then she drags him off to his own people. And then very Disney, that's where the story ends. So it's sort of like a very Tarzan kind of um, uh, it's a gentrification of the, the story in that yeah. we don't worry about he becomes a man and then he fights for the animals. No, 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 no. Yeah, he yeah. falls in love and then the end. La, la, yeah. la, la. There's, there's something kind of sweet about the ending, about how he's sort of just come home after being lost for so long, but it feels very, like, surface level. There's nothing... Like you said, I, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know a little vignette, if you will, of like what he did as an adult. How did he use his knowledge of the animal kingdom to benefit them or something like that? But I guess we're years away from that. Maybe it's in the sequel. I don't know what the sequel's about. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, we're going to watch it one day because it's got John Goodman in it. So, <laughs> I, um, I looked this up because I was very impressed by the vocal on this. Her name's Darlene Carr. Yeah. And I thought this looks like she's meant to be a young girl, like maybe, you know, four, 13, 14. Okay. Um, yet she sounded like a 30-year-old. But in actual fact, Darlene Carr was about 15, 16 years old when she recorded oh, Okay. All right. She's got quite a sweet little voice. Like, mm. unfortunately, there's not much song to go with it, but, like, she, <laughs> she does have a very nice little voice in um Yeah, it's a really beautiful, crystal clear soprano. And fun fact, she is also the singing voice of Kurt in The Sound of Music. <laughs> it's because Kurt does the whole, um, goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I love it. That's fair. I love it. Okay. Yeah, um, cool. So I hated this song with a burning feministic passion. Yeah, yeah. And uh, did it affect my ratings? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely it did. So in the way your love for acapella affected yours, my yeah. total detestation for misogynistic bullshit affected mine. So I gave it two for music. Yep. The melody's pretty. I gave it one for lyrics for being bullshit. I gave it one for animation because the clay pot doesn't break and it annoys me. Um, The contribution to story, I gave it one because it's his, like, call to people, I guess. Um, Actually, no, screw that. That's just the music. I'm giving it zero. And I think I would have preferred if she came out and just did and just ood it. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought, because she does that a little bit. She sings, and I hate it. Then she oohs, I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah. And then why does she have to sing about being a woman of the home? I just, yeah. And ooze would give it. pretty. Um, I gave it zero for Kate. Yeah, fair. Ooze would give it the exact same, like, power and impact. Mm. Like, it's the song that's calling him home. It's like... There doesn't need to be lyrics yeah, to it. Yeah, it just feels very forced. So, no, I, 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 think, I think that's all fair. Yeah, what did you give it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my scores are very similar. I gave it a two for music. Um, I gave it a zero for lyrics. I gave it a one for animation, a one for contribution, and a zero for cake. Oh, we gave it essentially the same score. We both gave it a total of four. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah. It's pretty, but far out. <laughs> they didn't include that one in the live action. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> so, um, oh, we've got a big winner in today. Fuck yeah, we do. Yeah, big winner. Oh, shoot straight to third position on the overall scored card yep. and second position on the best song ranked by music and lyrics and cake. Absolutely. And that song is... I mean, the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be found off my big home. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. Absolute banger. It's just, it's just fun. It is, so, it's just fun. It's very, and you can tell that Hakuna Matata takes a big leaf out of this song. Absolutely, yeah. Very, very similar vibes. It's it's awesome. I'm so keen. I, like This is the first time I've been, I think, genuinely excited by a song getting so high. I, I'm keen. I'm done. I'm cooked. Put Stick a fork in me. I'm done. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh, my goodness. We should make one of our you know, Patreon goals. If we make this amount of money, Will would just do a flat-out performance of Bear Necessities dressed <laughs> as a bear. Like- there's some, there's been a lot of covers of this song. Let me just pull up the uh, some really, really uh, influential people singing. So Louis Armstrong did a version. Look for the bear necessities, the simple bear necessities. Harry Connick Jr. has done a version. Forget about your worries and your strides. Uh, bowling for Soup has hey. done a version. I mean the bare necessities of Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Um, the the uh, Zac Brown band. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam. Matthew Morrison did a version. I couldn't be fonder of my big home. These are buzzing in the trees. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at them fancy There's been so many versions of this song. I yeah, it holds up and I just I cannot emphasize enough the lyrics are so good. Get a hold of the lyrics sheet, have a read of them and and comment on Facebook if you agree. I think it's the <laughs> just the absolute tits. I love it. Bring up a karaoke video on on YouTube and have a sing. Yeah, it, it makes you feel good. It's a feel-good song. <laughs> okay, so Angie and I watched this movie uh, the other night, two nights ago, three nights ago, something like that, and, um, yeah, she had the following to say. So it's very start of the movie. We're just hearing um, Mowgli speak for the first time, and Angie turns to me and goes, wait, he's verbal? Who taught him to talk? Oh, wait. The, the animal's talking. <laughs> Carry on. All right. So uh, that brings us to the end of episode 11. Uh, what are we reviewing in our next episode? Our next episode, Stackers, is going to be the nosedive of the century into the Aristocats. Yay! I'm looking forward to it. I think this will be... Oh, this has one of my favourite songs in it. 
Does it? Oh, I'm looking forward to this. No, I'm looking forward to this. All right. Until we see you next time, thank you for listening and uh, make sure that you share us around, share the love, get us out there because yeah. the more people that listen to us, the better we sound. Okay. <laughs> anyway, on that note, I'm Stuckers. And I'm Will. See you next time. Bye. Bye. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.